0: It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends. This episode is something that so many of you wrote in about Um, If you have been following me on Instagram or are on my email list, you know that I will often poll and ask my community what you want to hear about because I'm not making this podcast just to listen to myself talk. Um, I do love having conversations with other people, but I could do that without podcasts. podcast. So the whole reason for this is to give you all what you want to hear about, to learn about, to... Eavesdrop on. Um, I had someone tell me the other day that they loved this podcast because they felt uh, like they were eavesdropping on a conversation, <laughs> which I thought was great because that's exactly the vibe that uh, we're going for here. So today's episode is called "A Conversation About Religious Trauma and How It Affects Sex and Mental Health," and I am so excited for today's guest. Ray, can you introduce yourself to everybody listening?
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, and I am deeply passionate about this topic. My name is Ray Gross, and I am an Associate Marriage and Family Therapist based in California, and I also have a podcast called The FOMO Podcast, and FOMO stands for Former Mormon, and <laughs> we talk about, we, yeah. There, there's a lot of FOMO when you're a member of the church, so it felt it felt very appropriate, <laughs>
0: totally.
1: um, sexually and otherwise. And we cover a lot of topics about life after Mormonism, and also what happens when you're raised in a high demand group, which is what contemporaries mm-hmm. call cults these days, and what that does to you and your relationships and your approach to the world and we discuss things like attachment theory and boundaries and sexuality and so aside from the fomo podcast i also see a fair number of former mormon clients as a therapist i am also a former mormon and i left the church about 20 years ago and at the time it never occurred to me that i might someday be helping people also Navigate leaving the church. And so this just feels like an organic extension, speaking to you about what it means to be raised in a high demand group with a purity culture. Uh, So whether you are raised Mormon or Southern Baptist or any multitude of religions that have attitudes about religion, it can have such an extreme impact on your mental health because sexuality is such a huge part of what it means to be human.
0: Yes. Oh, I, yes, exactly. I talk about this all the time. It's like the intersection between sex and mental health and how we don't get enough education around sex and we don't get enough education around mental health. And then it, we absolutely get no education on how they impact each other and what they can do to each other. Um, so, okay, let's start with the fundamentals. What? How do you define religious trauma?
1: It's interesting because the academic world doesn't really have a term for religious trauma, unlike, you know, family of origin trauma, or there's always different theories like terror management theory. And so I've started to coin the term religion of origin trauma, very specifically people who were born and raised in a religion and their sense of identity, their sense of where they belong in the world is reduced to this very narrow channel of who they are. And so sometimes they'll call that the cult persona. And I think about how, when you divorce out the rest of yourself so you can fit into this perfect mold, whatever that may look like, that's where the trauma comes in because doing personal growth work is about integrating all of yourself and loving all of yourself. And these religious structures actually are intended to divorce out parts of yourself, which in our podcast, we go into great detail about what kind of trauma that can cause, but not knowing oneself is is the trauma. Not being allowed to know oneself, being discouraged from knowing oneself, like that is the trauma.
0: Yes. So how, if someone's listening and they're like, uh, how do I know if I have religious trauma? What can someone look out for, think about or ask themselves?
1: Yeah, I would say growing up, were you encouraged to be curious about yourself or were you taught to be obedient? Mm -hmm. Were you encouraged to be curious about the world or were you taught to conform? Did you have a feeling like you had to fit into this very specific mold in order to have love and acceptance? from the community that you were a part of, because this can cross apply certainly to dysfunctional families, and it can cross apply to other experiences. Like certainly many people experience the feeling of, oh, who I am is not lovable and worthy. The distinction for me is, yes, maybe your parents might treat you that way, but were you part of a larger organization, usually religious, that put a larger requirement on you that went beyond your family. It actually went out to your social group and the people you spent time with and the people that you were supposed to uh, look up to or please.
0: Yes. Okay. Love this. Thank you. So let's say someone says, okay, I think that's me (laughs) or I think that's my friend, or I think that that is this other person that I know. What are some of the effects that you have seen, whether it's with clients or yourself even, what are some of the effects on someone's sexuality, on their sex life from religious trauma?
1: Religious trauma starts in the organization, usually at the leadership level, and then filters down and is reinforced by the family. So there is some variability based on how your family approached the enforcement of Sexual rules. So, some families were more comfortable talking about sex than others. So, I want to just be conscious that, like, yes, there is the larger organization, and then there's also like the family reinforcement. And with those variabilities in mind, sexual trauma often can look like, again, a lack of curiosity about what your own sexuality is. I have a sibling who was married at 17 and she came out of the closet at 30. She's gay. Mm -hmm. And she had no idea. She literally was dissociated to a point where her husband at the time, who had taken a human sexuality class at his university, picked up on the fact that maybe their dysfunction was the fact that maybe my sister was gay. So someone actually mm-hmm. had to point it out to her and say, "I've noticed that when you look at men, it's like you're looking at a like a lamppost, but you you linger on women. Are you gay?" So my sister's lack of curiosity due to the religious upbringing and also the degree of not just conformity, but lack of other options, like there's no option outside of sex, you know, heterosexuality. There's no option outside of monogamy. You are supposed Mm -hmm. to fit in this very narrow channel. And that's, that's usually the sign that you've experienced religious trauma. In addition to that, there's a lot of attitudes about sex. So there's people talk about purity culture. And there's also attitudes about different roles for men and women, like women and girls are supposed to be the ones who protect men from their Mm. lustful ways. And so you'll get stories about like different requirements for men and women and how how their sexuality is supposed to show up. You know, boys will be boys, but ladies, you better hold a dime between your knees, whatever that Uh, one senator uh said. And so those are the things you're looking for is, were you encouraged to talk about sexuality or were you given a standard of what sexuality was and there was nothing outside of that? these are good things to look for.
0: Amazing. So then on the other side of it, what are the effects on mental health that someone can look for?
1: The effect on your mental health really goes back to this concept that I was just talking about, which is being able to know and love all of yourself. And when you are not allowed to know yourself in order to have acceptance in your community, When you're not allowed to be curious about yourself, when you're not allowed to love all of yourself, the list is extremely long on the mental health issues that can be caused. Anything as fundamentally painful as borderline personality disorder, all the way up through um, depression and anxiety. Gabor Mate in his book, Scattered, makes the argument that ADHD is a defense mechanism. So potentially ADHD, it it really comes down to your, your genetics, your proclivity for certain mental health disorders. But a lot of the mental health disorders are byproducts of, I can't handle the reality that I'm living in. So I'm going to use this coping mechanism, whether it's numbing out with depression or overly stimulating with anxiety or completely dissociating from oneself all the way to dissociative identity disorder. The the, the diagnoses are vast for what happens when you are not allowed to know yourself, truly know yourself, uh, be curious about yourself, be in touch with yourself, both sexually and just on the whole.
0: Thank you for bringing all of those different things up because it Just like any other type of trauma, you know, it can manifest so differently for different people. And I I know that um, you had mentioned to me that you got married when you were 18. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about your story and and how religious trauma played a role for you.
1: Yeah. So in Mormonism, much like I would say most Christian-based faiths, marriage is for when you are married, marriage, married. And (laughs) (laughs) it's not a stretch there. And I remember I went to college and expected, you know, to be married soon because that's what everyone did. My mother was married at 19. My sister was married at 17. And there was no question about whether I would get married, whether I would have children. It was just, this is what I'm going to do. And so when i met the person that i thought i should marry sort of you know ticked all the boxes about being a worthy priesthood holder which is something mormons talk about and someone who'd gone on a mormon mission there's never a discussion of love or attraction in mormonism Mm. there's only a discussion of righteousness and worthiness and so i chose a righteous worthy priesthood holder And we met in January, we were engaged in February, we were married in May. Um, While I had, you know, fooled around with a couple of boyfriends, I had not uh, had sex, penetrative uh, PV sex. Mm -hmm. And so my sexual debut was on my wedding night. And I was so... Tense and so uncomfortable that now I understand that I was suffering from vaginismus, but at the time I just thought sex was painful, and this is
0: yeah the burden well, that you a don't woman don't know bears, anything else. It's just normal. It's just normal, exactly.
1: Uh, I heard someone say once, "How can you know the world is round if you've been told your whole life that it's flat?" Hmm. And that was very much the world that I lived in. So sex oh. was painful. Okay, that's that was just you know my requirement. My mother had groomed me to be a good docile domestic wife and so i i that followed up in the bedroom as well um i did not enjoy sex i also wasn't able to acknowledge my bisexuality it hadn't even come to my mind that i was attracted to women and Mm. i didn't even know to ask the question i didn't feel attraction towards women at this point in my life because I had dissociated so deeply from my own sexual identity and my own attraction.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So, how did this marriage go? <laughs> what What did you do? Uh, it did not go well. We were married
1: for less than two years, and you know, in some ways, I'm really grateful for the marriage because it put me on. Oh, um, In some ways, I'm really grateful for the marriage because it turned up the heat, so to speak. And Mm. it wasn't just the sexual things that were wrong with Mormonism. There were many other things. And the marriage put a pressure cooker on me where I just, I kept getting more and more depressed. And I think that ultimately resulted in us separating and divorcing and Mm. was actually a big step for me because I realized that I got married to make other people happy And I realized I was being Mormon to make other people happy. And I was like, well, I'm not doing either of those. (laughs) So I got divorced and I left Mormonism. Wow. Was that scary? You know, people have told me that I'm brave for leaving Mormonism. And I usually respond with, that's like telling a drowning person, they're brave for trying to find oxygen. Mm. I was drowning. I was dying. I was wasting away emotionally and i genuinely don't think i would have i don't think i would have survived i think i think it's highly likely i actually would have ended my life if i had continued to stay uh so i was just pushing for the surface Uh, i don't know how scary it was because i was in survival mode Uh, afterwards there was a lot of fallout but i i don't remember the fear it was
0: an unavoidable
1: collision with, I need to survive. And we have such ingrained survival mechanisms yeah. in us that I really truly think that mine came to the surface and was like, well, we don't want to die. So right. we got to do right. something.
0: Uh, you know, it's, I appreciate you naming that because I think that often when we're in a survival state, there is no room for fear. And I hear, I mean, I asked the question, right? Like I I understand why that question is asked. I know why I asked it, but I, I really appreciate your response because I'm, I'm trying to think back to times in my life where I have been in that survival state of like getting out of something and nothing seems scary because staying is the scariest thing on earth.
1: Um, yes, I'm probably going to steal that. Staying is the scariest thing on earth.
0: I want to quickly interrupt this episode to talk about my latest project with Best Self Co. If you don't already know, Best Self Co. is a brand with a range of simple yet meaningful tools that help people achieve their goals, be more productive, and create positive change in their life. I've had the pleasure of working with Best Self Co. on a few projects, the latest being their brand new Intimacy After Dark deck. This 150 card conversation deck is a tool for talking about and exploring sex to bring more connected intimacy into your life. The deck was designed with all relationship structures in mind and includes a conversation framework, adapted and approved by me, That guides you through consensual and comfortable conversations about sex. Best Self was so kind to provide a code to my listeners so that you can get your hands all over the Intimacy After Dark deck before it's gone. Use the code Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, during checkout at bestself.co and get 30% off the new Intimacy After Dark deck. That's bestself.co and code Rachel for 30% off the new After Dark deck. I want to thank Best Self Co. for being one of today's podcast sponsors. Now, back to our conversation.
1: Once I left, certainly there were challenges with my family and my friends. And, you know, my, my ex-husband, he got engaged. He got married nine months after our divorce and had a kid nine months
0: after that. Wow. Wow. So how did you reintegrate into the world and start dating and kind of navigate your religious trauma and how it affected your mental health and your sex life?
1: Yeah. So I remember the first guy I had sex with after my husband and I were separated And I was still wearing my Mormon garments, which if you don't know what those are, some people call them like the magic underwear, but they're called garments. And they are something that you put on after you enter the temple uh, for the first time, which is a whole other conversation. Just that's part of the process. And they are white cotton felt fairly lightweight, but they go down to your knee and they go all the way up to your shoulders it's a two piece and there's a little cap sleeve and they you know cut you know under the 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 chest and a little scoop in the back and they are not sexy by any stretch of the imagination and i was still wearing them because i hadn't left the church just yet and i met this guy at work I was a ski instructor and he, and it was Christmas. It was Christmas day. I'll never forget. Like, it was Christmas day. I was alone all by myself in my apartment. All my friends had gone. I had moved out and all my friends had gone to uh, home for Christmas and he invited me over to watch, I want to say gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> I know never seen the movie, never watched an R rated movie. One of the many things Mormons oh are supposed to do. Oh my
0: goodness.
1: Yep. And he invited me over and I mean, I kind of knew where this could go I was just really lonely. And uh, we had sex and it was not painful. And I remember afterward feeling kind of angry. Like, this is what this is all about. I mean, don't get me wrong. That was fun. But this is what they've been building all this hype about. And now that I've actually enjoyed it. I'm like, this is it. I was sort of uh, disappointed. I mean, the sex was actually good. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I remember being like, oh, this is what it feels like to have sex with someone that you're like really attracted to and like really want to have sex with them. And I would say I went on a bit of a tear. I was 20 (laughs) years old.
0: (laughs) What did, what did that look like for you?
1: Oh, I just had sex with everyone. Uh, I mean, men specifically, um, I was 20 years old and, um, was very excited. And I can say that I made a lot of questionable choices. I married, I I slept with a few men that were married. Um, I slept with people and then just ghosted them. Uh, Mm -hmm. I definitely pursued, you know, toxic people. Uh, I was just, I just didn't have any breaks at that point because all I'd ever had was an emergency break on all the time. Right. And when you let the emergency break go and you've had your foot on the gas, like you just sort of go. And right. I didn't know how to I didn't I didn't, have any, I didn't have any breaks yet. So yeah, that went on for a few years. Um I kissed a girl for the first time, probably a year after that. And she wanted to kiss me because she wanted to hear we exactly that she afraid it, but again eventually essentially, sorry. I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but essentially she wanted to give the guys a show. So I was 21. We were in a bar and she and I started kissing and I got really turned on. And I was like, Oh, that's news. I like kissing girls. Cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. Uh, I think I used the word by curious for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Somewhere along the way in my hmm, close to late twenties, I actually had sex with a woman and I liked that too. I was like, Oh, I like this too. Cool. I I like beyond kissing. These were big leaps of time though, like six, seven years, because I was comfortable with men. I knew how to flirt with men. I knew how to manage men. Women felt uh, strange and foreign to me. And also, I was sort of aware that even though I'd never really joined the LGBTQ community, it always felt a little disingenuous because I felt a lot of sexual attraction to women, but I didn't feel romantic attraction to women. And Mm. so I was really, I was conscious, even though I didn't understand the consciousness, but I was conscious that I maybe couldn't give a woman that I hooked up with the follow-up emotional connection. And so I really limited, yeah, Uh, which, which is something that happens in the bisexual community at times. When you Yeah. Are. Well,
0: especially when we aren't taught the difference between sexual orientation and romantic or- orientation.
1: Exactly. So I read a book a few years ago called The Invisible Orientation About Asexuality and discovered that you can parse those two. This was news to me. And so I was like, oh, I'm bisexual and heteroromantic. Although I will say that my th- therapist was like, maybe you just have a lot of internalized biphobia still. So I'm I'm still leaving that on the table. So speaking of my therapist. Fast forward a bunch more years. I'm in graduate school. I've had, you know, numbers of sexual connections with women at this point. Uh, And I'm I'm fairly comfortable. And I am in class in graduate school to become a therapist. And one of my classmates said something about heterosexual people as a gay man. And I took offense. (laughs) I'll never forget. He looked at me and he said, Ray, you're the B in LGBTQ. I wasn't talking about you. And it was like this light bulb went off. And I was like, oh. I sometimes think of myself as heterosexual and sometimes I think of myself as bisexual and I just flow in between these two sexual identities and sort of ignore one or the other, depending on what's convenient. So I remember uh, the day, the next day, I went to a little gathering with some of my closest friends and I asked them, no, I'm like 38 at the time. I was like, do you all know that I'm bisexual? <laughs> and they all were like, no. And literally one of my friends was like, I just thought it was sort of like, you know, party trick, you know, because, you know, I went to sex parties. This is the whole other life we can talk about at some point if we get there. Um, you know, she'd seen me hook up with women and, and she literally said, you know, I thought it was sort of a party trick, um, mm. which is sort of a known term. And I was like, oh, wow. So then I went to my therapist. I was like, do you know that I'm bisexual? My therapist was like, no, I would not have said that about you based on our conversations. Been going to my therapist for like four years at this point. And I realized I wasn't out. (laughs) I thought I was out because I would tell certain people, strangers, people that I thought didn't matter that I was bisexual, but literally my most inner circle, my therapist, I had never come out. And I realized I was still closeted. And that was mostly amusing, a little bit devastating. So that's been my sexual journey uh, to to this point, I know I mentioned sex parties, and I've I've really delved into the kink and LGBTQ and poly community since all this happened. And my obviously my attitudes about sex have evolved. Yes.
0: <laughs> so how would you say they have evolved? Like we understand the starting place, and it sounds like you you know you described it as going on a tear. How did things start to kind of balance out, and you find? what Ray wanted and not what religion said you wanted, or then kind of that the overcorrection that so many of us experience, right? Like the the jumping to the other end of the spectrum is such a common human experience. And often we think we're the only ones.
1: Overcorrection is the exact right word. And you see this in uh, the former Mormon population, not just with sex, but with substances and with you know pretty much anything that's been banned. It's like it becomes their religion to drink coffee as defiance against the Mormon faith. So there's a lot of overcorrection with former Mormons. And I I feel conflicted with this answer because I still feel like some days I'm still overcorrecting. I don't like to say no to myself. I'm really mm. even now just in some ways learning to cultivate boundaries with myself and say, I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't need to be defiant because I recognize that if I'm either conforming to the church or I'm being in defiance of the church, I'm still in the pattern. I don't actually get to be me. I'm either it or I'm not it, but what is, what is me? Like all that stuff in between. And so there are moments when I have felt even semi-recently, like, I'm still doing the overcorrection. I'm still learning how to have boundaries Mm. with myself specifically around sex. Other things um, didn't need to overcorrect or the overcorrection was very quick. And I also think that I'll just speak to my ADHD uh, that, you know, you have a dopamine deficiency. Sex is a very convenient and fun way to, you know, backfill some of that dopamine deficiency. So that was certainly an aspect in my leaving the church and the way I would say the overcorrection, you know, continues to heal is learning to have body autonomy, mm. learning how to say no thank you. Um, I was at a party recently and a guy, you know, very casually put his hand on my butt, and you know, we were all in a heart-opening substance. Uh, at least they were, and I very gently was able to have a conversation with him about consent. Mm. And walked him through what it would look like to actually ask permission to touch my butt. And that was sort of new for me. So I would say it's still an ongoing journey, how I'm learning to um, boundary myself, boundary others, get really in touch with what I actually want versus, uh, and again, this comes from being in the patriarchy, really hard to say no to men. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, um, it's it's ongoing. (laughs) It's an ongoing journey.
0: What do you want to say to anybody who is potentially in your position before leaving or even right after? So the person I'm thinking of is either still in a, a religious situation that they are so desperately wanting to get out of, or perhaps they were just in it.
1: I mean, aside from the thing that I recommend to everyone, which is go to therapy and get a support group, is discover your boundaries. There's a wonderful book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. And it is a building block for breaking uh, patriarchal views, both for men and women. And it is a building block for managing your family It is fundamental for learning how to say yes and no enthusiastically, because Mm. in my community, if it's not a fuck yeah, it is a no. And learning what your fuck yeah is. And also just be be really gentle on yourself. You are going to overcorrect somewhere. If it's not sex, it'll be something. It's just an inevitable outcome for most people. So have a lot of compassion and grace for yourself and have fun. Don't get too caught up in, oh, I have to be this way or I have to be that way. And you know, above all, be safe, practice safe sex. You know, you're not taught safe sex often in purity culture because when you have sex, you and your partner are having sex with each other for the first time, and mostly will never have sex with anyone else. And so practice safe sex, learn about safe sex. It's not just about condoms. There's so much more to it. And honor your body and your autonomy as, as much as you can.
0: Thank you so much, Ray. I, um, this conversation is so important. I can't tell you how many people have come to some of my, you know, sex ed one Oh one, uh, safer sex one Oh one, sexual health one Oh one, um, these super quote unquote basic. And I use quotes very, very largely because They're basic to like two percent of the population, (laughs) and they're truly the fundamentals of the topic. But they're not basics in the same way that like common sense is and very common. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like you you we would think that so many people know this information, and yet I am just astounded every time I teach one of these. There are so many people in the audience or on Zoom or wherever the the venue is um, that have a significant religious background and who have no idea about these things. And I mean, to me, that's like walking around, not understanding that our heart pumps because we're able to breathe oxygen. Like it's, it's not understanding a part of how your brain and body work. And I am so grateful to you for a, a, doing this work as a, as a clinician and congrats on, on being halfway there for licensure. Um, and to speaking out with your own story, you know, I, I think often as therapists, um, I know when I was in school, I was very much encouraged not to, uh, be myself in the world. And it wasn't that we got this, you know, overt message, but it was very much like Pro blank slate therapist. And so, in order to do that, y- you couldn't have an online presence. You couldn't. I mean, I remember one professor being like, be careful if you leave a Yelp review for some. This also dates me because nobody <laughs> does this anymore. Um, but be careful not to leave a Yelp review because your client may see and then they'll know that you were at that restaurant. And it's like, I look back at that and I'm like, dude, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I, there is a difference between self-disclosure in session and self-disclosure out in the world and on social media. And I just am so grateful for you as a therapist and as a person for talking about your your personal journey with all of this.
1: Yeah, thank you for acknowledging that because I do have moments where I wonder, should I be so public about this? Especially Mm -hmm. knowing that my clients may find my podcasts and or interviews. And I've just reached a place something like what you were saying, that certainly in session, self-revealing, you know, personal things should be done very judiciously. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who can't afford therapy, don't know they need to go to therapy yep. and they turn to podcasts and they turn to online resources. And I want people to have their experiences validated. Yeah, I want people to have their experiences feel normalized. I want people to know that there is a path to healing and I want people to feel like there is hope after religion.
0: Well, I was going to ask you to wrap it up with one message, but you were five <laughs> steps ahead of me and that was freaking beautiful. So where where can people find you, Ray, if they want to check out your podcast, social media, work with you, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So the podcast is at thefomo podcast.com. It is available on all of your favorite streaming platforms. There's also a lot of other FOMO podcasts out there. So you may have to hunt a little bit, or I just recommend going to our website and clicking through because that will be the easiest way to find us. There is a form on the website for the podcast. Should you want us to cover a specific topic, reach out to us looking for resources. My podcast. My co-host for the podcast and I like to respond and be as helpful as we can, especially for people that are not in the state of California, because I only see clients mm-hmm. in the state of California, because that's where I'm getting my license. And also, I really recommend that if people are looking for resources for this in here, they visit the Mormon Mental Health Association if you're a former Mormon because that is a wonderful resource for finding therapists. And if you're looking for me, my website is RayGross, dot scom And there is a form on there where you can reach out to me just to say hi. Uh, you can just send me a note. Um, if you have recommendations for resources that you found useful, I am an open book. I like to learn. I do not know everything. And so I'm very appreciative of people that have helped me along the way on my education. And you can also read my bio there and I have a few blogs up. So yeah, I encourage anyone to go to my websites, uh, check me out. Social media links are on the website, so That all makes it much easier. And uh, I look forward to hearing from anyone that wants to extend this conversation.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ray. I so appreciate your time and you as a human in this world. Thank you, Rachel. And I really appreciate everything
1: you're bringing to the space as well, because sexuality as we were saying in the very beginning it's it's one of the pillars of yeah hum, hum, being human and when you don't have all the pillars you know that this the structure isn't
0: stable yep 100 percent could not agree more thank you so much yeah. that's all for today you sexy folks what questions came to mind as you were listening Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.